0: All right. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to open up. Stay on your toes. I know you're an hour short on sleep, but uh, this is what we've got to do. We, we've got to take a really good shower in truth here for the first few moments to get us set up for this. I've entitled this section from uh, Romans 12 and verse nine all the way down to about verse uh, 13 or 14. We're not going that far this morning, but uh, the life of love here. This, this will set the stage for us. I'm going to read and make a few comments on 1 John chapter 4 and verses 7 through 10. This is how I want to set the stage, if you will. I want to give a frame. I want to be sure that we understand why there's life of love. We're not just giving uh, a few good moral steps to take, uh, some kind of virtuism, moralism. Not at all more on that as we go to the passage. But if you want to turn there, if not, I'm going to read 1 John chapter 4 verses 7 through 10. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. I want to make about four statements here. Very important to get this frame around our passage in Romans 12 and 10 and following. First of all, love is the language of truth. Get this right. Love is the language of truth. It's the expression of truth. We must never divorce the two. However, be on your toes. There are some, and I've heard it said in this church in the last six months, the New Testament never, Places love above doctrine, never places love above truth. In this passage that I just read in 1 John 4, the context for that is chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. All right, well, this is not a sermon on that passage, but. And that point of that section is the conflict between truth and error. It's a real battle, it's warfare. That's the kind of world we live in, especially as Christians. Then, why should we love one another? Two reasons come up here. One, false teachers, the false teachers, John's combating. They were already at work in the first century. False teaching didn't just slip in in the Middle Ages. The false teachers, John's combating, they were disconnecting the knowledge of God from the love of God. How do you do that? Well, you can just make it an experience thing, an epiphany, a manifestation, some vision, some dream, some emotional moment, which is totally uh, un- disconnected from truth. So that's what he was battling. And also, the second reason, why we should love one another is that Christians are to take care how they live. How's this? Knowing God should be evident in the way we relate to people. How we think about them, how we treat them, and it's bad Christianity that reveals, excuse me, revels in Bible knowledge, but is not patient, kind, gentle, compassionate, forgiving. They go together. If you try to put patience and kindness and warm and compassion, you, you, can, you can become an orthopractical heretic. So you can take those things and then pour in content into kindness and compassion and pour in your own thoughts and say, well, I'm, hey, I'm, I'm uh, doing good to others. You're just in a humanistic form of altruism. But wait a minute. If you've just got a Bible head on you and you know the Bible really well, and yet you are really, really chronically a difficult person to live with, and you run from people and problems, you're another kind of heretic. <laughs> So you can see why these two things, love and truth, how they go together. So a couple more thoughts, and then we'll get right on over to Romans 12 and 10. We are to love one another because love is the very nature of God. Very nature of God. The loveless life is a God-denying life. We don't want that. And we are to love one another because of the supremacy of God's love for us. Look at the length to which God went in his son, Jesus Christ, in his death on the cross and what he did in demonstrating his love for us and that now where we are yet sinners. Christ died for the ungodly. All right. little sermonette up front, but uh, now we're ready to go a little bit further along. I want to read to you some scriptures that I put uh, together for a reading. And what I've done is that I've, of course, been through this passage many times and preparing for this week, and I looked at verses that connect with a lot of these points. These are not random points, by the way, that Paul brings up. You look at them, and you think, whatever popped in Paul's head, oh, that's a good one. No, it didn't work that. They're connected. There's uniformity. They're they're cohesive. With that said, listen to these verses, and just let them kind of fall down, shower down over your brain. 1 Timothy 3.15. If I delay, you may know how to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Did you get the phrase household of God? You know what that is? Church, local church. 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. The point is, you got to see the church as family. First Timothy 1 Timothy 1.13. Though formerly I, Paul speaking, was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorant in unbelief. Paul reveled in the fact that, look what I was. He went on to say, he was the chief of sinners, and he was not holding a drama party when he said that. He meant it. 2 Timothy 4.8. Oh, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. You'll see how these plug in. First 1 Timothy 4.8. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And Romans 8, 24. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes? Or for what he sees. Are you with me now? All right, let's look into this passage. And I think in in the importance of getting our minds refreshed in the text, let me read these verses here from... Verse nine, follow with me. We're in Romans 12 and verse nine now. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Lord willing, we'll deal with that, that last, those last two statements sometime, I think, it's going to be up in April. But that's where we are. Let's let's proceed. Let's find out what it then means to love one another. And we see that if anybody's going to see God in us, it's got to be through all the dimensions of love. And love is a really a full-bodied uh, way of living and thinking. It's, it's, all right, let's let the text speak. I'll put it this way, that love is devoted to the family of God. If you're looking at that statement, it's in the outline. Love is devoted to the family of God. He says to be devoted to one another in bro- brotherly love. This is actually the first of 10 family obligations. It's on Paul's mind. These passages, they're related to one another each one drafts on the other so here it is then love for our brothers and sisters in Christ should animate our spiritual giftedness that's in the context you've got a gift package God's gifted everyone here and that gift set is to be of benefit to be of faith building to others and it's to be exercised in what we will see will be this self-sacrificing love in all its dimensions. So he's talking about family affection here. We go a little further with this. The nature of the Christian is to love. Now, when we're born again in regeneration, God flips the switch, if you will. Maybe that's not the best metaphor. He, he gives us a desire a new desire. We're not we have a new nature. We're not the same kind of person. We're not just the old person with this tacked on. The idea here is that in this new nature, there is this response to fellow believers that you begin to see fellow believers as your family, in your church, your local church. And we're united to Christ as brothers and sisters in Christ. So we're to have this genuine affection for one another, regardless of race, nationality, wealth, occupation, or education. That's the way the church ought to work. And relationships then have to be built like our biological family. Let's think about that. Your family. Well, we could really have a session if I said... Let's take a little time and just tell us a little bit about your growing up family. We can't go there. <laughs> I may have already triggered some, some uh, a memory album that is gonna distract you. But we have family experiences. But I think we could find there is a common denominator to family experiences. That there is, they say, blood's thicker than water. There is, if, if things are right, as they should be, You've obviously got connections with your biological family that are deep and wide. Now, we, you can go off on that and say, well, you know, they can fall apart. They can get bad. The point is there's something there. And what do you do in a family? Well, you love one another. Now, I I find these words are are particularly interesting. If you're looking at the text, you have your Bible open to that. He says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. There's a bit of a play on words here that uh, I enjoy. Um, It's philostorgoi. is the word that's translated, uh, devoted to one another. It's where the root is the word philos. It's one of the words for love. Now, don't make, you remember I cautioned this a few weeks uh, ago? Don't make the mistake of saying attaching a certain kind of love to each word. No, no, no. Because this word is used, the noun is used of God's love for us. So it's not just some relational, emotional love, that and more. And, but here, I've interrupted myself Philistorgoi, And then there is Philadelphia. So these are the two words brotherly love, the city of brotherly love, right? Here. So what he's, what he's getting at here is this. There is this connection with one another in the church, and we have some spiritual connection in Christ bonding us together. And so what do we do? Well, I, this brings up, this one really needs to, to drill a little deeply. I'll go as much as far as I can with it. Okay, so you may be thinking, oh, I love one another, you may think, well, you know, there's some people I don't like, and then I'm told to love them. Okay, what do we do about this? I'll give you a short answer. There's a longer one we expound on. The common denominator is that we're to love one another. Everyone, we love one another. Now, the liking factor and rapport, that's measured. Isn't it true in your own family? Do you have, you don't need to raise your hand and acknowledge this, but don't you have members in your family that you like a little bit better than others if you were going to have a thanksgiving meal and then you find out that certain one couldn't be there and you inside of you go oh i wanted them to be here and but you may not respond that way to others that's the way life works now you treat everyone in love but you know the like factor so I'm not. This is not. Uh, this is not a ticket to being snarly and you can. Well, I love you, but you're a jerk. No. <laughs> no, no, not at all. So family, family, we're tied together by this spiritual bond. Now, one thing before we move on. Um, you know, you're going to have some family squabbles, and you. I. I know a little bit about this trying to avoid self-referentialism here I don't, I, but i know a little bit about that i didn't grow up in an ideal place uh home mom and daddy loved us but okay um but you have squabbles and siblings oh it's good show up with siblings brother sister brother brother you can start out early and I, let me rush to the conclusion of this what do you do in your church family? We're related to one another. In Christ. Affection, he says. Brotherly affection. Sisterly affection, if you will, as well. You recall there are four steps that you take in resolving your difficulties with other people. Get them. First of all, this is not original with me. This comes out of The Peacemaker with uh, Sandy. Uh, we had that Years ago, we had that conference here, and a matter of fact, I think I taught it one time in addition to that. First thing is you glorify God, there are four G's. You glorify God, that's where you start out, how you work through this difference you've got with someone, I want God to get the honor and the praise. And then, you gotta secondly, the second G is get the log out of your own eye. Oh, okay, so you don't like so-and-so, or you don't like what, well, what about you? What's, what about your own heart? My heart, my mode and the way I treat. It. Thirdly, go and show your brother his fault. And then go and be reconciled. Those are the four steps. That's the way you work through it. And you don't, you, your family, you don't say, I'm done with you. Now, some people do. And I've seen it in families where they say, I'm done with this family. And they move away if not geographically, they move emotionally far away. But this brotherly affection, this family connectedness, that's the way it's to be in the local church. All right. Can't stay there any longer. This brotherly love thing is, well, it's so important, so big in the New Testament. And some of the passages I read, I hope, will make that impression on your, on your mind. All right, let's look at the next love. Life of love. What's it like? Love is eager to commend others for the the ministry of their gifts. Give preference to one another in honor. What he's saying here is that you approach your relationships with some very deep and abiding and beautiful humility. That you treat, what what do you do when you honor something? You're placing a value on something. You may very well have some item in your own home that you highly value. I'm just talking about an inanimate object. Why? It's got you have attributed to some value to it. And I it may be real or it may just be emotional, but still, it's got value, and you honor it in a so, certain way. Maybe a, a picture that you want to keep prominent, uh, some kind of memory. So treating someone worthy of your, your service, your service. See, it's the way you look at one another and the shared, the giftedness that we have. So we place this value on that person. So therefore, you know, look at his language, give preference to another. You go forward in making a way for them because of the value you placed on them and you want to show the value of that person How much in your honoring of them? You know, it just flashed in my mind was John the Baptist and the Lord Jesus Christ, who he went before him. Who, what was he doing and saying and preaching? He was all about Christ. He was leading the way. He was honoring him in the manner of his ministry. So this is the value that is placed on relationships. So therefore, jealousy and envy, show them the exit. They do great harm to body life. And as our minds tend to work, we can really get preoccupied with ourselves. So be careful. Listen to Philippians 2, 3. In humility, preferring others as more excellent than yourselves. Do you prefer, question, do you prefer to honor rather than to be honored? Oh, ouch. Do I feel like I'm entitled to be honored, or is it my goal, is it my drive and my passion to honor those people upon whom I place great value because of who they are in Christ, brother and sister in Christ, because of how God has developed them, worked in them, and uses them? Do I I note what others are doing? And recognize their contribution. You know, if you want to let your mind wander a little bit in church, I know it does. It's probably wandered a hundred times already off to of other places. And you look around, you look at the backs of heads, and you see people here in front of you and behind you. Do you think, uh, maybe, steal a moment to the contribution that person makes in the life of the church and, and thank God for them and treat them with honor? Oh how, what would this do to sweeten the pot <laughs> if we' thinking this way? Not did nobody notice me this morning. You know, some version of that. And uh, so I, I, I don't know where I got this, but it said, uh, maybe it is original, whatever. Christ is seen as being among us when we act according to our new nature when we act according to that new desire that the Lord implants in our hearts to honor others. So, there we are. Let's go to the next one. This is fifth in the outline, if you've noted. Love pours itself into the Lord's service. Not lagging in diligence. Or, I think one paraphrase has it. It may be the message. Do not be slothful in zeal. Now, you can see the buildup if you can keep your mind so disciplined to follow these, uh, one that follows the other. All right, so we prefer one another. Now he says, and be sure that you are at that. Come on, get with it. Don't be lazy. And love is not lazy. And look for opportunities to use your spiritual gift. Uh, in regard to what you're doing, don't be lazy. We can put it that way. We're not to be weary and well-doing. Galatians in chapter 6 and verse 9. And we have to uh, rouse ourselves. Now, there is physical laziness and there is intellectual laziness. Let me give you about three or four steps. I don't want to linger on this one. I've got some other packages I not open up to go as we're going along. But let me say several things about this laziness factor. Laziness looks for ways to avoid responsibility. So lazy doesn't mean you're just sitting on the couch eating Cheetos and watching old westerns all the time. Um, laziness looks for ways to avoid responsibility. Laziness cannot face things as they really are. See, I may be more lazy than I realize, I could be a high-energy person. I think I'm coming to that one. That's not what this one is. Yeah, okay. I'm having to remind myself of something. I want to talk about that a minute, how we're, we're not all born with the same energy, all the same number of cylinders. <laughs> but laziness cannot face things as they really are. It... it Laziness, I heard someone say this years ago. I never got it. It builds castles in the sky and then attempts to live in them. Uh, That's the way it works. Laziness doesn't see oneself as he or she really is. And laziness resorts to dishonesty to get what it wants. And laziness leads to disease. I mean physical disease that if you've become a sedentary kind of person and you don't move about danger. Uh, I've talked over, I like to talk to the doctors when I go in for whatever, and I have a few more of those things scheduled here in this time of life, and I'm interested in what they think. But you know what I found out? How important circulation is. I'm not talking how you circulate among the crowd, but I'm talking about blood flow. You know what makes it happen? The heart pumps. When does the heart pump? When you move. When you move. And it helps eyes and ears and every part of the body. Circulation. And so, laziness. Now, I'll visit this briefly. We are different. Some people are born just kind of high-energy people. And they're different, even on that scale. Uh, They just can't sit still. Um... I'm, you know, I, I can't get referential to the family here, but I see it in my family, <laughs> and just always sit sit down, and you know, gotta move around, I gotta do this, and, and talk for a minute, and then over here. I got I'll be right back. I gotta do that, and, and just see this this way all the time, moving around. Well, I'll tell you this much. I'll pause. Say this. That's got to be sanctified. <laughs> and, Lord, help me to be wise in the use of my energy to know how to direct it into things that really matter. Okay, with that said, now, there are low energy, and there's quite a spread on that part of the spectrum. Low energy people. And so, they just, um, I'd say just know yourself. And function, uh, maximize your own function. You don't have to try to be somebody else. You try to find somebody who's a high energy person, you'll be... You'd be dead in the water by noon if that's long. Just know what your function is and say, Lord, just give me the grace, the wisdom to function as best as I can within this range of things. I read, I'll leave it with this. You know what a sloth is? If you aren't they amazing critters? It's in an animal family in South America. I got interested in this, and so I looked it up. And I've seen the pictures of the things that, you know, it's going along like that. And they hang in trees upside down. They got these really good claws. And I read they sleep that way and they can even die that way. So you may not even know if, if one's dead or alive and it's just, it's just hanging there like that. And this is for you, uh, for you runners, walkers, that they can travel one-third of a mile in an hour. <laughs> Just check that out sometime and see how physically you can compete with a sloth. So, um, you know, what we need to do when we come to a statement like this and we could get a little frustrated about, I need to be more energetic, maybe some things are are tamping you down that need to give attention to? Maybe you are caught up in things that don't really matter. I can go there quickly. I'm a high energy person. God's graced me with that, but it can be a, a danger. And but not everybody's that way. Okay, I can't get off on all that. Uh, just I heard I've heard a preacher say it this way that all we have to do is rake the ashes. That's what he's saying here. Pours. Love pours in itself into the Lord's service. Don't be so. You know what you do with a fireplace? Is that I didn't lose it? you know not lost on that. You're working with a fire, and you move back the ashes, and whew, there's something going on there under the ashes. Okay, I'll leave it at that. Now, next, number six. Love overflows with energy. <laughs> We're still on this. See how Paul's mind's working here. See. Love overflows with energy and genuine enthusiasm in doing the full in the will of God. Fervent in spirit. It's boiling over. That's the words that was used here. And love is not apathetic. Boiling in spirit. And now a little interpretation problem. I won't linger, but some interpret this to mean the Holy Spirit. Because in the Greek text, it's pneuma. And it could be Holy Spirit or human spirit. I'm inclined to think he's talking about, since this is this within, that there is this uh, motivational uh, prodding and development. But I'm interested in it in a couple of ways. Does your personality radiate the presence of Christ? Fervency. Um, for others to see? To be fervent in spirit is to live for Christ with enthusiasm. I know the word enthusiasm. I know the Greek history, the word God in you, you, and then theism. And it's, it's being in, in pagan Greek culture. It was, you know, when the gods possessed you, you just went crazy. <laughs> no, but I mean genuine sanctified enthusiasm. And so proclaiming the gospel you know what I found? This phrase was used in Acts. It's used in Acts chapter eighteen and verse twenty-five. I looked it up and read it again, and it's used in relation to Apollos. Apollos, whoa, he was the he was the silver-tongued orator of his time. Remember Apollos in First Corinthians? There was, some said, "Hey, I'm Apollos. Can that guy preach?" <laughs> he is. Paul, Paul's deep, but he puts me to sleep. <laughs> Apollos. He can really sail. And he was good at taking the scriptures and just confounding adversaries with the scriptures. That's what the Bible says about him. You read that in Acts 18. But this is what is used of him, fervent in spirit. But then you follow that, you keep reading, and you see he was really, really good at studying the scriptures. And then when he met Aquila Priscilla, you remember that uh, part of the story? They found he was zealous for all that he knew about uh, Christology, the person of Christ, but it was really limited. He knew only the baptism of John. And "Well, so you could come over and listen. Well, I've got some homemade soup. Let's sit down. Let's talk. Let's go through these things. And they began to explain to him the person of Christ. It sounds strange to us. How could you be a believer and not understand that? But transitional issues there, Old to New, to New Testament. And, the, and then he just went to another level. <laughs> when he got that instruction but my my point is this is that there is this in he was invigorated by getting into the scriptures and wanting to know them i gotta know this gotta know that and uh okay i gotta be careful i could stay too long on this i did find this one interesting though this uh this statement with regard to uh uh uh, got two things i want to bring up here and anecdotally Uh, Winston Churchill I love to hear about Winston Churchill I've watched his biographies I read some of them parts of them but here's one part of it some of you World War II historians remember this right after the Germans, the Nazis had taken France this was after Dunkirk it was here's what he said he went Churchill went before Parliament America was not in the war. All the isolationists were really busy. Let's don't bother that. Just don't get into overseas wars. So it was all just England. And he says the whole free world is dependent upon England now. And he waited a few moments for that to sink in. And he said, Gentlemen, I find that rather exciting. <laughs> rather exciting and he moved he moved England through World War II with his leadership his zeal. Now I, how he did it with his physical condition I don't know but he did it and so um, do we find it exciting to be able to serve the Lord uh, all right let's I, I've got to put this in I, I don't want to waste this one I may not get to speak to you again about some of these things so here I, I heard it. I've heard it said. I've read it, and I found it to be true. If you really want to get motivated, fire it up! Fire it up! Old football language, isn't it, Steve? Yeah. Fire it up! Just restoke the furnace. Go to the 18th century, 1700s. Ah, Whitfield, the Wesleys, and. I had a, a habit of time. I read through John Wesley's journal. And I, this came back to mind in a note that I had. Uh, well, not, a, a, little dis, a little caution here. Don't get offended if you think that this is saying... How do I... Let me read it, and then I'll give you the caveat on that. But this is what he wrote. This was May the 8th, a Friday on uh 1741 Wesley he wrote down everything He said I found myself much Out of order However I made shift To preach in the evening But on Saturday my bodily strength Quite failed So that for several hours I could scarce lift up my head Sunday May the 10th I was obliged to lie down Most part of the day being easy only in that posture. Yet in the evening, my weakness was suspended while I was calling sinners to repentance. But at our love feast, which followed, beside the pain in my back and head and the fever which still continued upon me, just as I began to pray, I was seized with such a cough that I could hardly speak at the same time came strongly into my mind, these signs shall follow them that believe. I called on Jesus aloud to, quote, increase my faith and to confirm the word of his grace. While I was speaking, my pain vanished away, the fever left me, my bodily strength returned, and for many weeks I felt neither weakness nor pain. Unto thee, O Lord, do I give thanks. I just enjoyed it. That's why I'm reading it. You say, well, well I'm kind of, when I'm got of, but listen, he didn't have Advil. He didn't have Tylenol. Okay. And I'm not saying, yeah, I'm not just saying just come on, just work harder when you feel terrible. But there is something, though, that goes on inside of us, should be, that you, you, at there are times you just have to overcome some things that, Okay, I, we, okay, I've slowed us down. Let's go next. Number seven. Love remembers who it is that we're serving. Serving the Lord. Actually, this is sort of a climactic statement here. That's how it's moving. Uh, you know, and all these things, uh, okay, don't be lazy, be fervent in spirit, your brotherly love. Don't forget who you're serving. Who's our point man? You know about point man, don't you? You remember that in Vietnam? Were you you're you first lieutenant in, in Vietnam? You, I got promoted while I was there, yeah, you first which meant that you had to go out in front of the uh, out in front of the squad. Oh no! You put your point man. That's why. That's why to get you, you put your point man out there. And you put him, and the that but it, it, you, okay. I, I'll get a little off the. You've seen. Where you're charging up, I know that I could tell one story, but I can't go there about Chattanooga and, and uh, MacArthur charging up the hill, MacArthur's father. And you see somebody waving the flag, and they take the risk, whether they're coming ashore on a beach or going up a hill, and, they're taking, and all of a sudden everybody's looking left, right, and they say, Well, okay, there he goes. Here I come, I'm with him. Remember who you serve. Christ has gone before us. He took the hits. Yes, he's resurrected in his, for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, and he's now seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's coming again. That's it, folks. Follow him. Follow him. Follow him. And say, Lord, just keep that, revive that within me. And so all of our thoughts about serving are to be informed by biblical teaching. Paul considered himself a bond slave of Jesus Christ. So we should consider ourselves. Our lives are not our own. We've been bought with a price. All of our plans, priorities, purchases, relationships, decisions must take place under the sovereign moral will of God. So that we may not be ashamed His coming. All right, let's go to the next. Love delights in the better things to come. He says rejoicing in hope. Ah, Love is not gloomy about life. All right, for all Eeyores out there, listen carefully here. We got a little Eeyore in a lot of of us in some point or another. You you know, I'm not, I didn't lose you on that. I'm trying to be relevant here at Winnie the Pooh. And uh, so... What he's saying is that the far look enables the believer to rejoice in spite of circumstances. What Paul said in 2 Corinthians 6.10, sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Yes, yes, at the same time. And so this uh, one, one picture that comes to my mind, I'm going to give you several quick, three quick statements with regard to hope. Let me do that, then I'll give you that aside from Pilgrim's Progress. All right, here's what I want to say about this hope. The Christian's hope is what God has promised, but we've not seen or received yet. That's it. It's an objective thing. And this joy that we have in following him, we have our eyes fixed on the invisible. That's the faith work. We see him, we follow him. Secondly, this hope protects us. 1 Thessalonians 5.8. As the helmet, put on the helmet, which is what? The hope of salvation. Get your brain working right. It's, here's, I, I found this uh, one commentary that I love going through Romans with Robert Haldane. If I talk to fellow Romans guys, they know who Robert Haldane is. It soos, here's what he said with regard to this, this hope. It soothes the bitterness of affliction. When the believer is resting on the promises of God In prosperity it elevates his affections And fixing his expectation of the glory that shall be revealed Disengages him from the love of this world It comforts him in the prospect of death That's what hope does And thirdly, that the fires of joy can only be stoked by focusing on hope Remember Roger Skeppel's message on hope? I haven't forgotten that message that was helpful to me. You know, there was a certain point in where things were going. Very important. And one writer put it through way, this way. The fires of, of joy can only be stoked by focusing on hope. So here we are. This hope. This confidence. And you know what we have to do? We have to think about it and talk it up. Talk it up. I, I give thanks to my spouse. She helps me. I sometimes... I get to dragging. I get carried away. I'm glad every, I'm, everything I may say sometimes, I'm glad it's not recorded. And she, she, the hope that we have, this hope that we have, talk it up, talk it up. Get that mind harnessed. And Pilgrim's Progress, when you go along in Pilgrim's Progress, uh, it's uh, Christian and faithful have to go through Vanity Fair you familiar with the story, that's in the metaphor, that's the world system. It is concentrated like Corinth. It's all the bad stuff. And then they come out of there. And hopeful comes along and he sees, and he had really been uh, helped by a Christian and faithful. And so it says that hopeful then became their companion. You see what he's doing with the metaphor. Hopeful became... Christian's companion after that struggle as well as faithfulness and enable them to go forward and go on. All right, let's go to the next one. Love, love weathers the winds of adversity. Weathers the winds of adversity. Persevering in tribulation. A couple of uh, word points here. I love this word uh, persevering and this is background for if they're ready in the back and we're going, to, we're coming to that okay with me uh it'll come up there this okay that's good just hold that we're going there that this word flips flips is the word so I went and just checked it out and see where I what I could find in the word it's uh it's, it comes from a noun in the Greek where a certain implement, an instrument was used to crush corn. It's, the idea is pressure, pressure, pressure. It's one of the words for suffering and affliction, a number of them. This one's like pressure. And so this pressure of whatever kind it is. He says, persevere. I love this word. Done studies on this one many times, though so you have been around here for years. Uh, Hupomeno. It's it's not the it's not the word that's used of of uh, endurance and patience. As another word, it's used all, more often in relation to, to, to people enduring. This one is used with regard to very dire circumstances, very difficult situation. But it's it's a it's it's a compound word, remaining under, two words, remaining under. But it's it's not just grimly so. It's joyfully, enduringly so. Like, look at them. Look at them. What they're doing and enduring, enduring. And he said, right, persevering, persevering in tribulation. Can I do this? Let's try it. You with me? Now, this is a little mini sermon. I've already given you too many sermons. Look at all you you, just for the price of one. All right. Here, look at this, what I, you'll find in the New Testament when you chase this word around. There's more to be said about tr- suffering, but this, it's this much. Tribulation exposes unbelief. Matthew 13 and 21. I've turned around and read the verse because I don't have it written in front of me. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. There are those who seemingly respond to the word and may' come to church for a while they kind of like it you on some of their favorite passages and so forth and but then things get hard things get hard disappointments come and all this shows up and you know what you don't see them much any longer they drift to the edges Secondly, tribulation will come like a tsunami at the end of the age. In Matthew 24, and uh, I think this is the ninth verse, for then there will be the great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, never will be. This is, you know your eschatology? We're way overdue for dealing with eschatology around here. I, I've, I've thought about that. That uh, we, to the coming of the Lord and the great tribulation, the seven period, Seven-year periods described in Revelation chapters uh, six through nineteen and Daniel chapter nine, so on, so on, so on, and the tribulation that seven-year period. And I mean, it's talk about the skies falling, skies falling. Oh, the judgment, the wrath of God. And judgment comes. It's going to be awful, awful. So things are not going to get better. Uh, okay, we're. I would prefer to say we're realistic optimists but uh, we're not just pessimists, but this is the way the script Jesus laid it out. Thirdly, tribulation scatters the gospel. Acts chapter 11 and verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch speaking the word to no one except Jews. All right, scattered because of the persecution, the pressure, the tribulation, the problems. That Christians went, Phew, fanned out, fanned out. Government came after them. Homes, uh, goods, and homes were confiscated. People were, friends, family were jailed. But what do you do? Well, I got to get out of here. I got to go somewhere else. Okay, that may, that may be what you have to do. And you go and you take the gospel to these other places. Fourthly, tribulation comes to kingdom people. Get ready. Were you told this when you when you came to Christ in the early days? We all should have been. There is a kind of popular Christianity out there today that is cotton candy. Oh, you just get Jesus, and just it's, everything is wonderful, and it's all going to fall in place for you. And Jesus make you happy. Who wants to be happy? Who want to be happy? You better raise their hands. Happy, happy, happy. This is not the way the early church, this is not the way Scripture comes after it. Anyway, that word happening, you know, hap, circumstantial. But this tribulation, it comes to God's people. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. God, that's That's why Paul encouraged the saints in Antioch. A little dose of reality. And then, tribulation, oh, okay married folks here it is all right let your eyes gaze upon the words tribulation comes with marriage first corinthians 7 and 28 that but if you do marry now what paul's doing here okay uh caveat set the table here he's not saying everybody should be single but he is saying wait a minute There is a way uh, some people in the sovereignty of God are going to be single. Maybe indefinitely for a short period of time. We all were single to some point. And there are advantages to that, okay? Now, when you get married, hey, wake up. You can't live like a single person. Many marriages get on the rocks when they don't get that one right. But notice, look. He says, but if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if you betroth, uh, of a betrothed a woman to marry, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I will spare you that. So there are some extra responsibilities. I mean, this is not a downer, not at all. It's, it's real. It's adjustments and responsibilities in married life. Hey, I'm all for Michael and Rachel. Oh, that was a beautiful exchange of vows right there. And I could hear them very clearly as they looked into one another's eyes and the kiss. That was a pretty good kiss. And, uh, and so on into life, they go together. I went up to them at the reception and thanked them for those vows and looked forward to hearing of their how they can serve God together. There seems to be some special things that have come into their lives now together. And, well, you know, you know, you've been married a while. You know, you got to make adjustments. You have to find out how selfish you are. Oh, yeah, you find that out pretty soon. I thought I was a pretty good person. Uh-oh. <laughs> and uh, all that. Okay, let's get on. Number six, tribulations are light compared to what awaits, the weight of glory. 2 Corinthians and 4 and 17 that for the light, for this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Can't even begin to imagine what God has prepared and say, Lord, I can't even begin, but I know this. Oh, I've gone to this one many times. Oh, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. Oh, if you could have just told me more about those, Lord. No, you don't need to know any more. Just know this. Look who said it. Then my father had many dwelling places. Are you encouraged by that? And he said he's coming again to receive you. All right, moving along. Number seven. God comforts, the, uh, comforts us in our tribulations. He does. Real comfort. Real comfort. You know, there are a lot of you, many of you, if not most, we've got reputation being real hands on comforters. You taking care of husbands and wives taking care of one another. Oh, the comfort, comfort. Oh, I gotta, I'm got over time, but I, I'll just say joy is possible in our tribulations. 2 Corinthians 7 4. Yeah, I am acting. Well, let me read the passage, 2 Corinthians 1, 4. Who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we'll be able to comfort those in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And then joy and tribulation. Yes, I'm acting with great boldness toward you. I have great pride in you. I'm filled with comfort in all our affliction. I'm overflowed with joy. Affliction, joy, same time, same time. Yes, it is. It's It's not a contradiction because this joy is this deep and strong river of satisfaction in God and his will being done, and your delight in God is abiding. That's this undertow. That's that joy that goes on and on and on, and that's what uh, the way in which we go through it. Um, now, I do not want to shortchange this last statement here on prayer, so I'm just going to uh, put it to later, and we'll launch off that when we get into this Hospitality thing. I've got, there's, there's some good stuff on that one that we'll see through the New Testament. And we'll do that, Lord willing. And uh, let's pray. Then we'll do some we'll song and we'll do some announcements. Let's pray. Father, oh, perchance, Lord, if there's someone here this morning who's never put his or her trust in Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sin, oh, Lord, stop them in their tracks. Oh, may your spirit come and bring conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come, and that this will be the moment in which they fall down and turn their back on the gods of this world and turn in faith, giving life in Jesus Christ. Father, oh, teach us how to live a life of love. We fall fall woefully short, Lord. We need you. You will be seen in the way we love one another. Please, Do it here, Lord, in this congregation, in our lives, in this church. In Christ's name, amen.